Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. We talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We're back with another great show today. Today, we're handing out some hardware. We'll make our picks for the midseason awards in the NFL, MVPs, Rookie of the Years, and more. Who's the best team in the AFC? We'll discuss it. NFL Week 9, College Football Week 10 takeaways, and a lot more. But joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on? Hey, Brad. I mean, what a Sunday. Not the biggest of games, but so many things I was able to take away from and have a lot of fun breaking down some tapes. So I have a lot of nuggets to put into this pod. Yeah, big, big weekend of football, man. No doubt about it. So much to get to. Let's not waste any time, Alex. Let's start with the NFL Week 9. We saw some matchups that were intriguing. We saw some big games. We saw some standout performances. I want to start with a team that, quite frankly, Alex, you've been beating up all summer, all offseason, and it's starting to come to fruition here. The Buffalo Bills are no longer elite. And I think it's officially time that we recognize that. Are they a terrible team? I wouldn't go that far, but they're not in that Super Bowl discussion anymore. And that Sunday night game, the Bills, they now fall to five and four. When I watch this team, they just have to find a way to get it going earlier with this offense. It's been stagnant. Against the Jaguars and the Giants, the Bills scored seven points going into the fourth quarter. On Sunday night, Buffalo only had 10 points. With five minutes remaining in the game, they just can't seem to get it going. Here's the other thing, Alex. They don't take care of the ball. I mean, they have two more turnovers versus Cincinnati in this game. And once again, we say it every single week on this podcast, Alex, the lack of a running game outside of Josh Allen. It's just the same story. As soon as it starts to look like they've got something going in the backfield, it's gone. And the defense, they've lost just too many key players That side of the ball doesn't look the same. They just don't look like the same team that has dominated the AFC East for the last three years. Yeah, you know what? They actually look like the same team. What it looks like to me is they've just been doing the same thing over and over, and that is the definition of insanity, to continuously do the same thing over and over while expecting a different result. And I think the rest of the NFL is saying, okay, we're hip to what you're doing. All we have to do is this, and you're just going to falter. And you said they're currently right now five and four. They really should be four and five. Thank you very much, Giants. And my prediction would be on its way to becoming true. However, to your point, I think McDermott's seat is really starting to burn up right now. You cannot have Josh Allen, you know, and my saying is, you know, Cam Newton ran so Josh Allen could walk. He is breaking down. We can see it. He's wincing. He's doing too much. He's taking too much on. People have really been talking more about Ken Dorsey, but I think this may be the end of the road for McDermott, and you could be looking at Ben Johnson or maybe some whiz kid offensive coordinator from another team coming in and taking over and kind of and hopefully finally opening up this running game to a point where this is now more of a balanced offense. But yeah, I was, you know, you know me, I was off the bills at the, at the immediate end of last season when they lost to the Bengals. And I said it again, when we started our preseason predictions, I was off of the Buffalo bills. And I completely agree with you. 
However, on the other side of that, kudos once again to the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, starting out the way that they started, we knew they were going to be hot. And I think we both picked them to beat San Francisco coming off of that bye. They are now five and three. They're starting to surge and they're going to be very scary as they continue on throughout the rest of the throughout the rest of this season, especially when you start to take a look at what their schedule looks like. And right now they have the Houston coming up, they have Baltimore coming up, they have the Steelers coming up, and they have the Jaguars. That four-game stretch, especially when you start to play, when you have to play Baltimore and the Steelers, if they can win those games and, let's say, take care of Houston and take care of Jacksonville, they can firmly put themselves back in front of the entire AFC North, which, by the way, if the season ended right now, every single AFC North team would be in the playoffs. So I think it's safe to say that is the toughest division in the league. Yeah, no doubt, Alex. Last week, we said it on the pod, Burrow is back. The Bengals are back. This team is rolling right now. They're red hot. They're clicking. And Burrow just picked apart that Bills defense last week. 28 of 32, three touchdowns, 348 yards. This guy's been unbelievable. I mean, the guy's just been on fire. He looks like the guy that we expected the injury, the slow start, that feels like forever ago. This is one of the scariest teams to play right now in the NFL. And you're right about that division. It got me thinking, Alex, about the AFC as a whole. This game, like we mentioned, Buffalo taking that step back, the Bengals taking that step forward. Back, well, I should say kind of back to where we expected them to be. The Ravens having a great year. The Chiefs are still the champs. The Jaguars are a surprising 6-2. and two. So I asked you guys, the Twitter poll question of the week, PGF Nation, who's the best team in the AFC? Like I mentioned, Ravens, Chiefs, Bengals, and I threw the Jaguars in there, not expecting them to get a whole lot of votes, but I just kind of wanted to gauge where you guys had them here in the mix. Ravens running away with it. Last I checked on the results, Alex, 43% of the votes going to the Ravens, 29% to the Chiefs, 25% to the Bengals, and just 2% to the Jaguars. The Ravens here running away with the vote here, Alex. And before we jump into it, what did you make of these results from the poll question? Were you surprised at all by that? No, I'm not surprised about that. But I will say from my perspective, I think it's a lot closer than we think, but definitely not surprised at the poll results. I mean, personally, if we just want to just a quick nugget on the Ravens, I think what we're watching and a lot of people may not be realizing they are back to the old Ravens. I mean, they're only allowing 13.8 points a game, which is they're allowing the least amount of points. So they're playing typical Ravens football, great defense and safe, manageable offense without turning the ball over. Yeah, Alex, you can make a case right now that they're not just the best team in the AFC. You can make a case they might be the best team in the NFL, and that's no disrespect to the Eagles, but the Ravens are just playing at a really, really high level right now. Todd Munkin is really pushing all the right buttons right now for this offense with more spread formations, getting the ball to these playmakers, and he is unlocking some of Lamar Jackson's potential as a passer I don't know if I've ever seen Lamar look this confident, this poised, and this accurate in the pocket. It, it's hard not to be impressed with what this team is doing. Forget his MVP season. I know the numbers in that season were eye-popping. This is the best version of Lamar Jackson we've ever seen. 
And on the other side of the ball, like you mentioned there, Alex, this Ravens defense is absolutely for real. Let's jump into this game real quick, though, because this was a game, Alex. We circled this game. We previewed this game last week. We knew this was going to be one of the marquee matchups, Ravens-Seahawks, and it wasn't even close. Alex, I think the Seahawks got exposed in this game. Look, they're a good team, but I think it's clear they're not in the same class as teams like Baltimore. I said last week when we talked about this game, they've really taken advantage of a softer schedule, and I didn't like their chances versus the Ravens. Gino, he just isn't the same guy that we saw last year. He's now had three consecutive games with multiple turnovers, and here's the other problem for Seattle. Kenneth Walker isn't getting it done versus good defensive teams. Against good defenses, he's really struggled. He's only averaging 3.5 yards per carry against the Lions, Bengals, Browns, and Ravens. What what were your thoughts after watching this game? Exactly the same is that Gino can't carry this team. Not that we have, I don't think either of us thought that Gino could carry this team. I thought we both believe with Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet, this would be more of a balanced attack. The defense was going to be better with Devin Witherspoon, a couple of young players coming in. But what we saw was a complete dismantling of the Seahawks on every facet of the game, defensively, off- offensively. I mean, there was nothing that the Seahawks that the Seahawks could do at all. I mean, DK Metcalf had one catch, one. Tyler Lockett, three. Jackson Smith and Jigba, a guy that the Ravens probably said, you know what, if he does, if he beats us, then he beats us, but we're not going to let these two guys beat us and we're going to be stout against the run, which they were. And then on the flip side of that, good luck to anybody who uh, who had a prop bet on Keaton Mitchell or maybe started Keaton Mitchell because all their running backs were hurt. Nine carries, 138 yards, 15 yards per carry and a touchdown, one of them being 60 yards. And then along with Lamar's uh, 60 yards rushing as well. So it was just a complete dismantling of the team. You know, I don't know what the Seahawks need to do, but they definitely did need to take a look and look at themselves and say, hey, we need to really figure out who we are and get back to being who we are and some of the things that made us successful last year. Not that they were this out-of-the-box team that was going crazy, but the next couple of weeks, the Seahawks have the Commanders, they have the Rams, and then they have the 49ers, Cowboys and 49ers. So if my prediction is at least to come true, they need to handle business against the commanders and the Rams. Oh, by the way, who just signed Carson Wentz to now start for them. You should handle the commanders, handle the Rams, and then be set up for a big time game against the 49ers. Because if I'm not mistaken, they are both tied for first place with the 49ers ahead because they have the better divisional record but they can be playing for first place uh come thanksgiving so all they need to do to get back on track they haven't fallen off the wagon maintain what you've been doing against these next two in these next two weeks against the commanders and the rams and be ready and stout for the 49ers who are coming to you thanksgiving alex it's starting to look like kansas city has a elite defense what Steve Spagnola is doing with this defense is pretty impressive this year. Now, look, the offense just isn't what we've seen in recent years. Mahomes only threw for 185 yards, really struggled in the second half versus Miami. The Chiefs, here they are. They hold the top seed in the AFC, and maybe with this defense, they don't need to be great on offense. It's almost weird saying that considering what we've seen from this team in the last several years. 
And watching this game, Alex, KC gave Miami opportunities in this game. And the Dolphins, they just couldn't capitalize. Miami might be a playoff team, but they're not a real contender. And I've been saying this for a while now. Look, they're a good team. They're fun to watch. But not until they can show us that they can beat these upper echelon teams, especially in their own conference, until they can get past some of these teams, I have a really hard time really believing in this Miami team. Absolutely. I mean, we talked about it with the Bills. We can talk about it with Miami as well. I know uh, Devin A. Chain is out, but they need to really, they need a bruising type of back. One, they score a lot and they score a lot fast. Now, they didn't score a lot against, they don't score a lot against winning teams, but there are going to be some games where, excuse me, some games where you're going to have to slug it out and they're not built tough. You know, you know, for tough, so to speak, like the commercial. I don't think they're built tough as we start to get into these winter months when things are going to get a lot tougher, when weather's going to come into play, and that track is not going to be as fast as you want it to be. I mean, Tyreek Hill is being doing Tyreek Hill things. Jalen Waddle has kind of fallen back a little bit. I think that he's been oft injured, and then the defense. I think even with Jalen Ramsey now coming back, I think the defense may start to pick it up a little bit. Hopefully for them, because they're going to need some defensive help in the next upcoming weeks. But if they want to stay, if they want to be able to stay and maintain traction with what's going to be happening in the AFC, because they could. I think there's only going to be one team out of the AFC East that makes it. But it doesn't bode well as they start to go into the playoffs, especially when they end their last two weeks of the season with Dallas, Baltimore and Buffalo, all who will either be vying for playoff position or be for playoff positioning so it's going to be real interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out for the Dolphins and then if you want to talk about Kansas City I mean one thing we can say about Kansas City yes Steve Spagnoli we, we, we know him from the Giants we know what he did with those teams but that defense I talked about the Ravens being number one the Kansas City Chiefs are number two in, in points allowed only allowing 15 points a game. They started to run the ball a little bit tougher. I think they should get back they should get back to that a little bit more. The one thing on the offensive side, they don't have a guy uh, in terms of a skill position at wide receiver. They also lead the league in dropped passes. So that is a hindrance as well, especially when you're Patrick Mahomes and you're looking for a guy to trust, who I think, if you go back and listen to us in the preseason during the draft, I think Rasheed Rice is that guy, but I think he's still being brought along slowly. He has to hold on to the ball because he's part of those drops as well. But I think they have something in the kid. He does make plays, but he does make blunders. So hopefully by the end of the season, they've kind of cleaned that up and he can be a guy that helps them surge toward perhaps another championship. Alex, do you think that this team is missing Eric Bieniemy in some of the play calling? Yes and no. I think the aggression that Eric Bieniemy comes with, and as you can see, the aggression that he brings to what he has with uh, the Washington Commanders, uh, if you haven't noticed, Sam Howell is second in passing right behind Tua in terms of what he's doing. So there's maybe a little bit of that aggressive push in the offense. But then on the other side to what I alluded to just a moment ago, without having a guy on the field that you can really get the ball that Patrick Mahomes can really trust, I think there's a little bit of trepidation from Andy as well as Matt Nagy to say, hey, let's push down the field. Let's push down the field without a true guy that Patrick Mahomes can trust. I think they're trying to develop a couple of these guys tight in the side, of course, as they go. But I also still think they need to run the ball a little bit more, use McKinnon in the, in the passing game, similar to 
what the Patriots did with James White. Use him a lot more. Use Pacheco a lot more until you can get these guys caught up from a development standpoint and then unleash that as you head into the playoffs. Yeah, it's a good point. I do think the one maybe fault that Eric Benemy might have with his play calling, and we're seeing it in Washington, is he gets a little too pass happy. And right now, if you're the Chiefs, that's not what they need. I'm with you. I think they need to lean more on Pacheco in this running game and bring more balance to this offense to try to open things up, try to open up some of those shots downfield. Alex, we had a big-time matchup. NFC East battle, Cowboys, Eagles, Eagles, they're starting to pull away. They're starting to separate a little bit in that division because they get a big win versus the Cowboys. Really pivotal game here. It, it hasn't been pretty very often this season for the Eagles. We've said it a few times now, but they just keep finding ways to win, even with Hurts not being 100%. And I think it's clear that this Eagles defense has taken a step back this year, especially the pass defense. They're allowing 375 yards on 8.5 yards per attempt. So that secondary can be had. That is the one spot, if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm really circling here because in the right matchup, I think they could be in trouble trying to defend a high-flying offense. But like I said, this team just keeps finding ways to win these games. They have that, I know they didn't win the Super Bowl last year, but almost that championship medal, that toughness and that confidence, especially in big games, they know who they are and they know what they do well. They have the best record in the NFL now. They haven't played their best ball. I think it's clear we still haven't seen Philly really clicking on all cylinders here. And I think that could really be scary for the rest of the NFL if they start to click. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing if I'm a Philly fan is that there were no turnovers in this game by Jalen Hurts nor by the offense from what I see. And the other part of that is, I mean, for the Cowboys, you had DeAndre Swift cough up the ball twice and they couldn't jump on any of those any of those to get a key turnover which they needed in order to try and get this team back to try and steal a possession away they could not do it I mean CeeDee Lamb 11 catches 191 yards you know Dak everybody keeps talking about you know he was headed for the end zone in terms of I guess he could maybe not have figured where he was on the field and stepped out, which was a key possession in the game. I mean, there's a lot of criticism that goes into that. Everybody, I saw a couple of people alluding to, hey, when Denver needed that one yard and there was that that play, you know, 40-year-old John Elway did the helicopter and got that first down. This was one of those times that, Dak, you needed to lay it all on the line. I know it's harsh to criticize there, but he was he was thinking that he had the angle. But I think at that point, you needed to make a big play. Your team needed a big play. And had they scored, we probably would have been in for probably one of the best finishes of this season from either team, whichever way it, would, it possibly would have ran. But I also have something I'm going to put out on Dak that I'm going to hold off because it was a critical moment. And it was some of the things that I can start to understand, well, not start to understand, but understand when a lot of Cowboys fans get upset with Dak because it was a key play. But on the other side, they just did what they need to do. And then, of course, you had A.J. Brown just out there looking like a monster. And then a big play, a great play, 29-yard touchdown pass to Devontae Smith in the back of the end zone, a dart thrown by Jalen Hurts. I mean, it was only put where the receiver could have made a play. Great throw. Great catch, key possession, key touchdown to help them take out the Cowboys 28 to 28 to 23 in a key divisional game. Yeah, this is another big game that we previewed, Alex. And 
it pretty much played out almost exactly like I expected it to. I thought it would be a close game. I thought it'd be a well-played game. But in the end, Dallas is exactly who I thought they were. In a big game, in a big moment, they come up light. This is the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys had first and goal on the six-yard line. They took a false start, negating the quarterback draw. Then Dak Prescott takes an inexcusable sack. Then they threw a rushed incomplete pass before being called for a delay game. On the game's final play from the 27-yard line, the Cowboys threw and completed a pass short of the goal line. This is who they are. Good enough to beat bad teams, good enough to beat the average teams, but they never seem to beat the really good teams, especially when it matters the most. Alex, I want to jump back real quick to last Thursday night football. Pittsburgh Steelers get the win. They're now 5-3. and three. Somehow, they're still alive in this AFC North race, and it's really because of its defense, and Mike Tomlin is just coaching his butt off. I, there's no way around it. This team has serious issues on offense. They've got some holes on defense as well, but the bottom line, they aren't winning anything worthwhile this year. They're just not because the offense is too poor. The, the quarterback play is not good enough. They can't run the ball. There's just too many issues. There's no way they should be 5-3. and three. And, and that's why I'm so impressed with what Mike Tomlin is doing with this team because somehow it seems like this team always seems to win games that they shouldn't. They always seem to win a few that you don't expect. And I think that always comes back to coaching. But on the other side here, Will Levis, the rookie, getting a second start here for Tennessee – Look, he was pretty impressive in this game, Alex. We were texting back and forth during this game. He made some big-time throws. That Steelers front seven, they were getting consistent pressure on him. He was getting hit. He was getting sacked, hurried. And this kid just stared down the barrel and threw some darts. He's big. He's tough. He's athletic. I know it's only two starts, but he's already been in just two starts. He's already been more impressive than anything we've seen from Bryce Young all year. Absolutely. I mean, I'll start on the Tennessee side. I know they lost, but Will Levis, I said coming into this game, I said, okay, that was Atlanta. They never saw him vanilla defense, and Atlanta doesn't have the strongest front seven. Coming into Pittsburgh, I said, okay, they're going to tee off on this kid because that offensive line isn't strong, and it's only DeAndre Hopkins that's really out there, and Derrick Henry hasn't had a Derrick Henry-like season. But you're absolutely right. 22 for 39, 262, an interception, for, sacked four times. But he stood in there and delivered the ball. One of the things that I always look for in a quarterback are they do they have happy feet in the pocket and are they going through progressions? And he didn't have happy feet. He was not scared with big TJ Watt and that D-line coming after him. He still stood in there and tried to throw darts and tried to, and tried to make plays. On to the other side of this ball. There's, there's a lot that we always talk about with uh, teams of consistency that are blue blood. When I say blue bloods, I mean just true to their core. The Green Bay Packers, they believe in drafting. They don't go always chase the big free agents. Same thing with the Ravens. And I, and I throw the Steelers in there as well. However, this is one time the Steelers, you need to go out of the box. You have a championship coach. You have a championship defense, caliber defense. And you have weapons. <clears throat> excuse me, you have Deontay Johnson, you have Allen Robinson, and you have George Pickens, who had, by the way, had two catches for negative one yards and tanked my fantasy team. I always have to throw in there how these guys affect my fantasy team. But Kenny Pickett, 
19 for 30, 160 yards. They ran for more than you threw, and you threw 30 times. You couldn't get over 160 yards. You know what I looked at, Brad? And I'll say this. Kenny Pickett has played in 21 games, started a full 20. He has thrown 13 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. C.J. Stroud, who we'll talk about later, has only played eight, and he has 14 touchdowns. This is a clear indicator with the weapons that you have, with the type of team that you have. You have to move. You cannot be rigid here. Move off of this person. This is not the time to be rigid. You can move off of him and go get yourself a solid quarterback that can probably put you in the upper echelon of a Super Bowl of the Super Bowl bubble. Because right now, with this team, even though you are now you are five and three, you no one no one is scared of you. No one is because you have Kenny Pickett as your quarterback. So until you make a change, although I picked you to make the playoffs, I can't believe in you in terms of the Super Bowl bubble because these wins are coming off of coaching and grit, not because you have a quarterback. Alex, normally we wouldn't talk much about a game featuring two teams with losing records this late into the year. But your Raiders get a big win over the Giants. I was actually at this game. Spent the weekend in Vegas. First time going to Allegiant Stadium. It was really impressive. Great place to see a game. I mean, it was a lot of fun. The game wasn't great, obviously. It was a blowout. But really fun to be there and, and to see that stadium. Really impressive. If you guys are ever in a chance to go to, go to a game in Vegas, I highly recommend it. It was a blast. But I want to start with New York here, Alex, before we jump into the Raiders side of things, because New York finally gets Daniel Jones back after he missed multiple weeks with that neck injury. Then he's forced out early in this game with a torn ACL. And look, people can say whatever they want about Daniel Jones, but there is no debating that this guy's got heart. He tried to play after the injury. He was clearly trying to walk it off, trying to, trying to stay in the game, trying to tough it out. On the next play, he collapsed in the middle of his drop back. Really unfortunate injury here for him. And here's the thing, though. This might actually be a blessing in disguise for the Giants because now it actually can clear the path for them to move on. And I think that's what they need to do. And I think they realize now that the season has gone off the rails, that's what they need to do. And I think it kind of allows them to do that, kind of hit the reset button here. We know Tyrod Taylor is also hurt. So they're going to struggle the rest of the way here. They're going to be starting a third-year rookie, a guy who really just doesn't belong starting any NFL games. And they can focus on getting this team moving in the right direction next year. And I think it starts by getting a top quarterback in April, like I said, hitting that restart button. And, and it's okay because somebody is going to make a move for Daniel Jones. You'll be able to get something in return for him. You'll be able to get at least some draft capital back and start to rebuild this roster a little bit. Now, on the Raiders side of things, the story's coming out. And, and I know we've talked back and forth off air. You've sent me some stories as well. And some of the things I've read online coming out about McDaniels. We know he got fired before this game. Some of these stories are crazy. I mean, it sounds like this guy was basically hated by most of the players and even some of his own staff. Antonio Pierce, as we know, takes over as the interim head coach. I, I love this guy as a former player, by the way, on a side note. Awesome player to watch in his heyday. He was a team captain of a Super Bowl team for the New York Giants back in the day. A gritty, tough player. Just a really good player. And I like the energy. I like what he's bringing to the table here in this position. And this team had a whole new energy. 
And I had actually read a story here, Alex, that apparently Mark Davis told Pierce that with no uncertainty, Aiden O'Connell is now the starter going forward. It's going to be interesting to see what this team looks like the rest of the season. Absolutely. I mean, I feel I, I feel bad for Daniel Jones, but you're absolutely right. I start on the Giants side, but you're absolutely right. This now puts them there. If I'm not mistaken, I looked at the last draft mock draft setup. They were sitting at number one, so that puts them in the driver's seat for Caleb Williams. And if you believe in Brian Dayball, you get him Caleb Williams. You can reset the table for your entire team. And even if you can't move Daniel Jones, you can get out of that contract within a year. So you've set up your salary cap right. You can figure out what you want to do with Saquon Barkley and set up draft picks and how you want to do going forward. On to the Raiders. Absolutely. I mean, it was funny. We were texting back and forth a lot. And this happened, I think, the day after the day after we recorded, he got fi- he got fired. But then, like you said, the stories, we don't need to get in, in depth with it. But I mean, the one key story is that when Mark Davis went to Josh McDaniels and saying that players were coming to him and complaining, they had an air it out meeting where players could, you know, air their grievances. And Josh McDaniels chose Antonio Pierce to speak for him. And Antonio Pierce spoke about their 2011 Giants team, if I'm not, I believe it was the 2011 Giants team, and how they felt they had the fortitude that they could beat anybody. And Josh McDaniels, getting upset that he mentioned the Patriots, said to him in front of the team, don't ever talk about the Patriots like that. And I don't think we need to go into any more about what that does to a team. And it's like, it's very confusing. Like, are you with us or are you with them? He seems like he's stuck. It's almost like a relationship. We're in a new relationship, but you're stuck still wanting to be with your ex-girlfriend. So we he was let go to go be with his ex-girlfriend where he goes from here. Good luck to him. As well as the GM and as well as the offensive coordinator, Michael Lombardi was let go as well. So that was on a that was on a Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. So they only had from Wednesday till Saturday to try and flip, get a quarterbacks coach ready to call his first game. They hadn't called one before. Get a brand new linebackers coach who's now a head coach. But I think to the point that you spoke about with Antonio Pierce, if you saw the press conference with his ties to the Raiders being from California, his NWA mentions what I thought, which I thought were hilarious and things as such. But it's all it also was history in a sense because it was the first time you had a female black president, you had a black GM in Champ Kelly, and then you also had Antonio Pierce as the head coach. So it was also history uh, setting as well. Something that the Raiders have tend to do, hiring Tom Flores, also hiring Arshel. That's kind of part of their DNA. But when we just start talking about the game, you can see how relaxed everybody was. You saw smiles on Devontae Adams' face, who only had four catches and didn't even have a, tar- only had one target during the first half. Josh, we had a Josh Jacobs sighting 98 yards with two touchdowns. Aiden O'Connell, they looked like they were spoon feeding him, which, which is what they should do. 16 for 25, 209, no TDs, but also no interceptions. I mean, I look, I was telling you, I was breaking down tape, looking at that. He looked really good. A lot of reading, still got to get some footwork and things cleaned up, but it was really the defense. You know, they had eight sacks led by Max Crosby. They'll be more on him later as well. And I think it was just a complete game. And you saw, especially in the aftermath in the locker room, there were a lot of smiles. And what it was, there was a rigid coach, a rigid, excuse me, coach that was there and you had someone that came in there bust the balloon let some of the air out and these players played loose now he'll get the rest of the year to see what he can do and then you know perhaps we have another turnaround because we were kind of at the same position where we were when everything kind of exploded with Henry Ruggs and then John Gruden during that two-week period so who knows I'm not saying it's going to happen but who knows and then we also get another uh, another eight games to see what Aiden Connell who is 
who was my pick in the, the preseason as the Brock Purdy of this draft before he was gone sent to the Raiders. So we get to see if there's any development there. So I think it's fun as a Raiders fan. It, it feels we finally got this guy out I'm off of my 0-19 <laughs> approach. But I'm really happy as a fan, if I could just fan talk for him, I'm really happy, really happy for my fantasy team because I also have Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs. But happy to see a lot of guys get their chance and these guys who probably been really upset and really pushing and grinding, hating somebody or disliking someone that's leading them to now have the air let out and to play a little bit more loose and we get to see what they do for the rest of the season. Alex, we don't need to spend a whole bunch of time on this game, but the Patriots are a dumpster fire. I cannot believe how bad this team has become. New England went into week nine, tied for the second most penalties in the NFL and tied for sixth in turnovers. They have multiple turnovers in four out of nine games and at least one turnover in six consecutive games. Guys, I said it weeks ago, and I stand by it more than ever. I think we're watching Belichick's final season with the Patriots. Look, I know they don't have a lot of talent, and I know there's a lot of holes on this roster, and it's a big reason why they're having a hard time competing. I also said that Belichick, the GM, has been getting in the way of Belichick, the coach. But some of this is downright coaching here. When you're talking about penalties and sloppy play and turnovers, some of that does fall back on coaching. This team is a mess, Alex, and I don't think it's getting better anytime soon. So I, I'm not sure about – I know we we had some feeling around that, but I know Ian Rappaport had reported that Bill Belichick had signed a multi-year deal extension uh, with them. So I don't think he's likely to be fired, and I'm, I'm just going to say that just trusting Ian Rappaport. I mean, anything can happen, but since he's a person of note, I'm just going to kind of lean on him and what what I saw from him for a moment. So I, don't, I think he's still going to be there, but you're absolutely right about the about the uh, Patriots. And, you know, before we wrap everything up, I just wanted to quickly mention, I know one of the things I had talked about at the beginning of the season, I didn't think Kyler Murray was going to play this year, but everything from what I'm hearing is from uh, the head coach and Jonathan Gannon is that he's trending towards playing not only this year, but perhaps this week. So I don't know what the Cardinals are doing. I don't know why, but... We'll just have to wait and watch and see what happens. Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. I personally love the Pick'em game. Just pick between two and five players to build a Pick'em entry. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Download the Underdog Fantasy app and sign up today with promo code PGF. That's promo code PGF to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. The official ticketing app of Pint Glass Football is now SeatGeek. I can't recommend them enough, guys. I've been using SeatGeek for years. You want to go to a game this season? SeatGeek is here to take the confusion out of buying tickets, making sure you get the best seats at the best prices. With SeatGeek, you'll never have to worry about overpaying for tickets again. How? They put a 0-10 to 10 score on each ticket, so you know you're getting a good deal. But here's the real game changer. You can get $20 off your first ticket purchase with the code PGFPOD. That's right, $20 off with code PGFPOD. This season, make every game day epic with SeatGeek. 
Download the SeatGeek app and remember to enter the code PGFPOD to grab your $20 discount. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Alex, every week we've been coming up with a WTF moment of the week. Oh, Based on a player, a coach, a ref, something that makes us scratch our head and say, WTF, what was that? What did we just witness? It seems like every week there's something. Alex, you've got one for us this week. Yeah, I mean, it's Dak Prescott. I mean, I already mentioned him stepping out of bounds, what I thought he should have done. But there was a play, and like I mentioned earlier, I did send the tape to Brad so he can 1,000% back me up on this. It was the tw- it was 23-28, minute 22 mark on a fourth and eight. They were five They were four, five wide, and it was man across the board. They had CeeDee Lamb in the slot, and Kenny Byer was guarding CeeDee Lamb as doubling him with Slay. And... Ferguson, the tight end, was wide open, not only by two yards, probably about a full five yards. And I'm not saying he would have gotten to the end zone, but he would have been damn close because they were at the, I want to say, the 28-yard line. So if he didn't get in the end zone, he would have been damn close because he beat the linebacker like a drum off of the line and was wide open, to which Dak made eye contact with as his first read. Instead, he threw to the sideline, if I'm not mistaken, to either Mike, I believe it was Michael Gallup or Brandon Cooks, for a play that just was knocked down and not game over, but they turned the ball over on downs and the rest is history. But in a key situation like that, 
You are one of the highest paid quarterbacks in this league, a franchise quarterback that people believe in you. You have to recognize that play because you actually saw it. We saw your eyes see it and you looked it off and went someplace else. I don't know why, but what the hell, Dak? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Alex. And I did watch that tape and it looks like when you watch that play, it looks like Ferguson is his first read. And I'm not not 100% sure that, but it appears that Dak is looking at Ferguson right after the snap. Ferguson has inside leverage on a, a basically a seam route, an in-cut seam route, and he separates immediately. You're, you're 100% right. This is, I mean, we're talking a total layup here. And somehow he looks it off and goes to another read in a crucial situation. It kind of goes back to what I talked about earlier. Look, I've said it for a long time. Dak's a good quarterback. He's a solid quarterback, but he's not good when it matters. He's not good in the big moments. It came to fruition again. This was 100% a WTF moment. All right, Alex, let's wrap up NFL Week 9 with the game balls. Alex, why don't you start this off? Who gets the game ball this week? I mean, without a doubt, it was C.J. Stroud. I mean... I got a chance to really look at C.J. Stroud. Everyone knows my take on Ohio State quarterbacks. It really wasn't against the player. It was just against more against the school. But C.J. Stroud is appearing to be what people, a lot of people who felt he was the best quarterback in the draft. He is looking like that eight games in. I mean, this stat, he, they beat the Texans 39-37 in, in a game that probably a lot of people weren't looking forward to, but it ended up being a very exciting game. And shout out to the, the Buccaneers as well, playing tough, Baker playing tough, making big plays. But C.J. Stroud leading his team down with a minute to go, to score, to, to score seven, scoring 17 points in the fourth quarter to take the lead and win the game, 30 for 42, 470 yards, which I believe broke Andrew Luck's record for most yards thrown in a game for a rookie, and five touchdowns, no interceptions. Basically a perfect uh, QB rating at 147.8. It's not just his recognition. It's not his footwork. It's not even his accuracy that I want to talk about. It's ball placement. And that's one of the key things that is very hard for rookie quarterbacks to do when you come in. You can have good footwork. You can even be accurate. But ball placement, where you put the ball, where only your receiver can catch is one of the things that people talked about with Dan Marino. And I'm not saying he's Dan Marino, but it was a key thing as a rookie when Dan Marino came in. Everyone talked about where he placed the ball is so perfect and it's such a catchable ball that C.J. Stroud is really shaping up to look like something special. Of course, I do not judge anybody simply off of eight games. I am simply watching and paying attention. But CJ Stroud, you get my game ball of the week. And I do want to give a special shout out to Bob Slowick, the OC, who was the passing game coordinator from San Francisco. Another one of those guys that's coming from that Shanahan system over with D'Amico Ryans that is now curating a lot of what we're seeing from CJ Stroud. But CJ Stroud, great game, excellent finish. You're looking like a guy in this league. Yeah, he's been so impressive. We'll jump more into him here in a little bit, but the, the one thing, and you kind of touched on it there, that I've been so impressed with, like you mentioned, the ball placement, there's a throw in the NFL that basically every starting quarterback, every high-level NFL quarterback has to be able to make, and it's one of the more difficult throws, and that's those layered intermediate passes. And what I mean by that is when you've got a linebacker or a defender underneath, typically a linebacker, 
underneath coverage and you've got a DB, usually a corner or a safety over the top. And you've got those intermediate routes where you have to layer the ball over the linebackers, but before you get to the safeties in the corners and he makes that throw nine times out of 10 and he makes it look easy. And I have, that's a very impressive thing really for any quarterback, but especially a rookie He's been lights out, no doubt about it, Alex. And and what a game he had in week nine. Now, you mentioned him, and there's so many options this week. There was so many standout performers, so many guys that I could go with. But I'm going to go with Josh Dobbs, the new Vikings quarterback. Look, they had the rookie fifth-round quarterback, Jaron Hall, started the game against the Atlanta Falcons, but then he suffered a concussion early in the first quarter. Josh Dobbs was not expected to play in this game. Look, he just got to Minnesota via that trade. He didn't even know his teammates' names. He didn't know the playbook. This guy comes into an extremely difficult situation. He's thrust into action, and he completes 20 of 30 passes, 158 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers, and he also rushed for 66 yards and a score under extremely short notice on a new team, new stadium, with only one week on the team. He plays like that, and he helps this team to a win. I think more than anything, Alex, the numbers aren't eye-popping, but when you consider the circumstances of this situation for Josh Dobbs, I think this was easily the most impressive performance of Week 9. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. It's not about the numbers. I could say I could really just point to his heart. This is a guy that can rally players because of his playing style and he plays, he leaves it all on the field. You were talking about it. He did not know his players' names. And I was listening to one of the uh, Minnesota podcasts. He was on the sideline practicing cadence, practicing the calls because he had, he drove, if I'm not mistaken, remember the story correctly. He drove from wherever he was to, to Minnesota to be a part of the game. And then on top of that, one of the things I didn't know, because everybody kept saying he's the smartest guy in the league, he's the smartest guy in the league. I did not know what they were talking about until I looked it up. So Josh Dobbs apparently is a rocket scientist. and a, not, not, No, a literal rocket scientist. He had a 4.0 in aerospace engineering while at Tennessee. You know you know what I'm saying? So that's what he was doing. Wow. He, while most players were probably in, in Sandro Pesa, where he spent the summer interning at NASA twice. So this guy is a legit genius, <laughs> apparently off the field and on the field with the way that he's been playing. So absolutely Josh Dobbs, a guy with a lot of heart. I'm pretty sure Jet fans are upset looking at that too, but we'll, I digress. But yeah, Josh Dobbs definitely deserved a nod this week. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And if you're, yeah, and if you're the Jets, how do you not give up a six-round pick for this guy? After what we saw from Zach Wilson, I, I mean, yeah. give me a break. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know what? And uh, we don't have to go off on a tangent. You know, the other thing, I also said that the Jets should have traded for Ryan Tannehill. They had an opportunity when they started Will Levis and he looked like somebody we knew it was the end of the road. They should have made a, a fifth or sixth round pick. The guy's at the end of his, his contract. You could have given up. And remember, Josh Dobbs, the Arizona Cardinals gave up Josh Dobbs and a seventh round pick only to get back a sixth. So, you had an opportunity there, Jets, but it doesn't matter. But good for Josh Dobbs. He deserved his nod this week. NFL Week 9 in the books. 
We're at the mid-season, and we thought it'd be a lot of fun to come up with some mid-season awards. Let's hand out some hardware here, Alex. I want to start with NFL Coach of the Year. Right now, who's your Coach of the Year, Alex? Right now, it's Dan Campbell. Anybody, anybody who can take the Lions, who I think is the poorest, and I don't mean my money, but the poorest run franchise in this league, even worse than the Raiders, but anybody who can take Detroit and get them to the level that they're at now where people are actually talking about them as a true viable Super Bowl bubble team has to get my vote. And I do have a narrative against Dan Campbell. I still feel that way, but I cannot deny what's actually happening in real time. Six and two, they're trend. They're trending up. Yes, they're in a weak, a weaker division, but you still have to win your games. And it's hard to change a culture that has been a consistent culture of losing into what they are now. They're on a bye week, right? They're on a bye week right now. But then they come back. They face the Chargers. Then they have the beatable. Then they have the Bears beatable. Then they have the Packers beatable. Then they have the Saints, Bears, Broncos, Vikings, Cowboys, and Vikings. They could really end this year at 13 and 4, excuse me, just by virtue of how their schedule lines up. This could be a scary team as they start to surge into the playoffs that a lot of teams don't want to don't want to play. And on top of that, you're probably going to have to go to well, more than likely you are going to have to play a road game in Detroit. Yeah, he's done an incredible job. There's no doubt about it. Just making all the right moves here really has changed the culture. You hit on it there. The culture change that we've seen with Dan Campbell, the attitude and the belief that this team has every single week is really impressive. And let's face it, part of being a great head coach is being able to assess talent and being able to hire a great staff. And he's done that too. And they've done it in a little bit of an unconventional way with so many former players on the roster and it's working right now and it's really working especially for a team that for the first time in a long time came into the year with expectations and they're living up to them so I've been really impressed with Dan Campbell but Alex my coach of the year is going to be John Harbaugh look they're seven and two they're tied for the best record in the AFC they play in easily the best division in the NFL we talked about it earlier this AFC North is loaded They have blowout wins over other division leaders, the Seahawks and the Lions, who obviously we just mentioned. They have the number one defense in points per game allowed, second in yards per game allowed, second in passing yards per game allowed, and eighth in rushing yards per game allowed. As we know, he hired a new offense coordinator. A lot of people questioned if that move would work. And now they have one of the best offenses in the league as well. And Lamar Jackson is playing at an MVP level. All of this I mentioned despite having several key injuries on this roster, plus they've won four straight games. John Harbaugh is my coach of the year. John Harbaugh, we can't deny what we're doing. Like I said, they got, I mentioned earlier, they've got that defense rocking and rolling. And you're absolutely right. We don't even have to look at the MVP year because if you look at the MVP year, you'll focus on the numbers. But what Lamar is doing as quarterback right now, he has truly morphed into a tradition, excuse me, a full, well-rounded quarterback using his legs when necessary and scanning the entire field and seeing the entire field, the maturation that I've always wanted to see from him. So I absolutely can see John Harbaugh as coach of the year. Alex, let's jump to the rookies here. Let's start with NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. I think there's a lot of guys who are in this conversation, but who gets it for you? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I looked at a few people, but I will tell you, I settled on Jalen Carter. And it's really more because, you know, I nerd out on watching film. It's the plays and the things that he does that does not show up on the stat sheet. He is simply causing havoc on that line, making the quarterback move. It's not a stat. It doesn't show up. The pressures do show up. Tackles for losses do show up. But moving a quarterback off of his spot, any quarterback will tell you they do not like to be moved off their spot. And he's consistently getting that strong push up the middle, never mind Fletcher Cox, never mind Jordan Davis. What he's doing as a rookie, eight, nine games in, he's already commanding double teams. So what does that mean when this guy really starts to figure out and really fills into his body and really gets a lot stronger at the point of attack? What can this guy be in terms of what he's going to look like in three to four to five years? We could be looking at a potential defensive player of the year right now for the Eagles. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He has been a monster in the middle. He has been a game changer. We knew that he had the highest grades as far as players coming out of this draft. He was the best prospect physically in this class, hands down. And I think everybody knew it. The only reason he slid was because of the off the field concerns. Well, so far that has not been an issue and he's been playing his butt off and he's playing at a really high level for a rookie. And you're right. The potential is just sky high for this guy. Alex, I'm going to give it to Devin Witherspoon, cornerback for the Seahawks. Unfortunately, Christian Gonzalez in that injury early in the year really derailed his chance at a campaign. At the time, he was running away with the winner of the Defensive Rookie of the Month to open the season. The guy was just playing absolutely lights out, and you guys know how much we loved Christian Gonzalez coming out of the year. Hopefully, he'll be back next year and looking like he did to start this year. But with that being said, I can't ignore what Devin Witherspoon's been able to do because he's been really impressive this year. I love the flexibility that he has either playing outside or playing in the slot. It's very, very rare to see a guy, especially a rookie, who can play both spots. That is a unique talent when you can do that. Quarterback ratings are really low when they target this guy. He's been lights out in coverage, and he's a great run defender too. He has two sacks and a pick six so far. He's only allowing 5.4 yards per target. Witherspoon has been a game changer for that Seahawks secondary. Yeah, the only reason I had Devin, uh, had Christian Gonzalez over Devin Witherspoon was because he was just a little bit too reckless with his body. And, and in this NFL, you can tend to get hurt. That was the only reason, but very close in talent. And absolutely, Devin Witherspoon is causing havoc. He's aggressive. He sticks his head in wherever he needs to stick his head in to make a play. And he's on every single play. And he he hits, he hits with aggression and he hits with intention. So Devin, Devin Witherspoon, great pick. Alex, let's shift to Offensive Rookie of the Year. This one seems like a no-brainer, but who do you got? Well, it's C.J. Stroud. You know, for everything that I said earlier, I mean, 14 touchdowns, one interception. I mean, that's pretty much unheard of for a rookie. And remember, he's not doing this with a bunch of name-brand players. I mean, Nico Collins, Tank Dell, Robert Woods, veteran, yes, but he's also doing this without the strong running game that they had last year with Damian Pierce. Wait till the running game comes into effect and that play action can really start to work and he begins to 
be able to really see things from a different level now that the running game is working. But I only see good things on the horizon for what C.J. Stroud is. And I don't think there's really much to talk about. I think this guy has really shown and proved why he should be Offensive Rookie of the Year. Yeah, Alex, I'm with you. This guy's the home run pick, no doubt about it. He was already having an incredible rookie year, but last Sunday, setting that single-game passing record for a rookie with 470 yards in that win over the Bucks was just unbelievable. And he became the second rookie quarterback in league history to throw five touchdown passes in a single game. He has instantly made the Texans competitive this year, and he's already making Carolina have major regrets over their choice over Bryce Young. Now, look, it's too early to throw in the towel on Bryce Young. No doubt about it. He could still become a really good quarterback, but there's no doubt that the way C.J. Stroud has played, it's got to make them nervous here. He makes the big throws when it counts. The only quarterbacks picking up first downs more often than C.J. Stroud are Brock Purdy and Tua. He's having one of the best rookie quarterback seasons in NFL history right now. He is no doubt the pick. Now, with that being said, I do want to give an honorable mention on this one to Puka Nakua, the wide receiver for the Rams, who burst out the gates with unbelievable numbers. He's still having a nice season. We knew his numbers would dip a little bit. After Cooper Cup came back, you're talking about one of the best receivers in the game. So naturally, he wasn't going to stay on that pace. But this is a guy who's still on pace to have close to 1,600 yards receiving as a rookie. So I wanted to give him some props as well. All right, let's move to NFL Defensive Player of the Year. There's a big group of guys here that I think are in the conversation, Alex. But who's going to get your pick? You know, I knew you would probably say that. However... There is one guy, and I don't think it's close for defensive player of the year. It's Max Crosby, and that's not a homer pick. That I'm being serious. If you watch Max, Max Crosby is the only player on defense that you game plan for. There is no other guy on the other side. There is no linebacker. There is no defensive back. There is no safety. When you watch defensive tape and you're an offensive lineman or the offensive line coaching staff, you're saying, how do we stop that one guy? There isn't say we got to worry about that. No, it's him. And throughout that, I mean, he's leading, he leads the league in pressures. He leads the league in tackles for losses. And probably out of defensive linemen, he probably once again is leading in tackles. So he's playing the run as well as the pass, as well as getting pressure, as well as tackles for loss. And he's all, he also has nine and a half sacks as well. So I think he is hands down the defensive player of the year. I know it doesn't get a lot of play for players that may play on a losing team, but for what he's doing on the type of team he's on and him being the lone person that you look at, there again, I will say it again. If you People have mentioned other players, but you, I'll always be able to say, but he also has this person on the other side as well. There is nothing, there is no one else for me to talk about when it comes to Max Crosby. It's just him. So that alone and everything that I just mentioned before, he is the defensive player of the year to me. Alex, absolutely. Max Crosby has been a monster. And look, this guy's been a monster since the second he stepped on the NFL field. And here's the thing about Max Crosby, and I was thinking about this. We, there's this group of edge rushers, pass rushers, that we kind of view as the elite guys, the top-tier guys. And it's always the same guys. It's TJ Watt, it's Miles Garrett, it's Bosa, it's Parsons. And they kind of get always discussed as like, these are the top guys, the best defense defenders in the NFL. And for some reason, Max Crosby's name tends to get left off that group a lot. 
And that needs to stop. He is 100% in that group. He's 100% deserving to be in the discussion as a defensive player of the year. Alex, my defensive player of the year is going to be a guy that I mentioned there, though, Miles Garrett. Now, he has nine and a half sacks, but here's the key. On only 188 pass rush attempts. Now, to put that in perspective, guys that I mentioned that I would also put in the Defensive Player of the Year discussion, TJ Watt has 245 rushes. Max Crosby has 299. So Garrett is really just unbelievably impressive getting nine and a half sacks considering how much less he rushes the passer. He ranks second among edge rushers in pass rush win rate, which I know is kind of a nerdy stat, guys, but it is important when you're trying to decide these types of votes. Now, that's despite the fact that he's being double teamed at the second highest rate in football. So when you look at kind of a deep dive into the numbers, what Miles Garrett is doing for that Browns defense has been absolutely incredible. He's going to get my vote for Defensive Player of the Year. First off, if you see him, he has no neck. So that's the first thing. If I'm a quarterback, I'm already scared. <laughs> and then have him bearing down on you with the speed rushes, with the power rushes. I mentioned, I think, maybe two or three weeks ago when they played San Francisco, even though Trent Williams was at about maybe 85%, he lifted him off his feet feet with one hand. And this is a first ballot Hall of Fame offensive tack, left tackle that is going to the hall that he just really just bull rush with one hand and got to the quarterback. So absolutely, Miles Garrett should definitely be in the running for this award. Alex, NFL Offensive Player of the Year, who's who's going to be your pick? You know, I went back and forth on this one. So I'll name the guy that I believe should win it, and then I'll name a guy who I think is close, and if they both continue on the same path, who'll be in the running. I think it's one, without a doubt, Tyreek Hill. He is on pace for what I think we said, like what, 2,000 yards and maybe about 17 to 20 touchdowns as well. So, and what he's doing in that offense, I mean, Mike McDaniel, the mad genius, the mad scientist, I like to call him Mark Anthony, the Latino singer. If you're not aware, go look him up. You'll see what I'm talking about. But he is dialing up these plays, and it's clear Tyreek Hill is getting the ball. It's clear this is the guy that's getting the ball. And it does not matter what you try to do to stop him, he gets the ball and he gets his numbers. Now, every now and then, if you get a little bit of physical with him, it slows him down. But he is on a tear right now for what he's doing to the league. So right now, he is my offensive player of the year. The person that I said that I have right next to Tyreek Hill that I think can push, and it depends on how they finish, because I think this could possibly come down to the last game of the season. But A.J. Brown is right there next to Tyreek Hill in terms of his numbers, in terms of his production as well. And this guy, completely different player, does have a little bit of speed, but the strength of A.J. Brown, I mean, we're talking about he looks like a baby T.O. even though he's only 6'1", but he's 226 pounds. And similar to some of the things that we talk about with Debo Samuel, when this guy gets the ball, he turns not only into a running back, he turns into Bo Jackson, Derrick Henry. He's looking to deliver punishment. His nickname is Swole Batman, and it's called Swole Batman for a reason. He is out there delivering 
brutal punishing hits when he gets the ball and then you cannot stop him he has people drag he's dragging people to the end zone he has a nose for the ball and when he gets the ball he gets mean and he gets powerful so swole batman aka aj brown he's right there with tyreek hill so i'm interested to see and watch how they both finish down the stretch yeah, those guys have just been unbelievable. There's a lot of people that kind of questioned if Tyreek Hill would be able to have the same type of impact after he left Kansas City, Mahomes, and that offense. And it's been clear that this guy is an impact player no matter where he goes. He has elevated Tua. He has elevated that offense. He is probably one of the most unstoppable wide receivers we've ever seen in this league, especially from the speed and route running ability, his separation ability. Just the I've said it once before on this pod, I think he's the biggest home run threat that's maybe ever played in the NFL. He is just scary, scary to line up against. And A.J. Brown, man, you're right. What a beast that guy is. I mean, just an absolute monster. Jalen Hurts, trust to put the ball up in there in places where he can go pull it out of the sky and run guys over. Just a monster wide receiver. Those guys are both definitely deserving. But, Alex, I'm going to go with Christian McCaffrey here, the ultimate offensive weapon and I'm not gonna lie I have a thing for guys who are versatile I love guys who can bring multiple different skill sets to the table and Christian McCaffrey epitomizes that really like no other player in the NFL he entered the weekend leading the NFL in rushing yards and ranked second in rushing touchdowns at another 292 yards receiving and four touchdowns he still leads the league in yards from scrimmage with almost a 1,000, and is tied for the lead in total touchdowns. He's scored at least once in every single game this year. I believe he has a 17 consecutive touchdown streak going right now. The Niners have slid the last three weeks, but it's not because of this guy, because he has become completely unstoppable. If I'm not mistaken, I think if you took, uh, from a betting standpoint, if you took Christian McCaffrey anytime touchdown and you did it every week, you would be up to maybe about 120000 or $100,000. I mean, he is money in the bank whenever he's on the field. He's getting in the end zone. He's running with power. He's running with strength. He's running with speed. And he's healthy. That's the key thing. He's also healthy. And in this type of offense, in this type of running scheme that the Shanahan's, I will give credence to his father as well, that they have been able to design with their blocking schemes. He fits perfectly into, and he's taken full advantage. So I can 1,000% see why he would be in the running for offensive player of the year. Alex, let's wrap it up with the most prestigious award, of course, the NFL MVP. Who's getting your pick for MVP at the midseason point? Right now it's going to be Mahomes. And this was a hard one. And it's a hard one simply because the MVP, I think the last uh, non-quarterback to win this was back in, what, 2006-7 when Adrian Peterson ran for 1,000 yards. So it's primarily a quarterback award. So I solely looked at quarterbacks. So I gave it to Patrick Mahomes. However, I think it's very close with a lot of other people. And one of those people is a person I mentioned earlier is C.J. Stroud. Now, right now, Houston is sitting at 4-4. Four and four. If they can turn that around and make a push to get into the playoffs, I could see C.J. Stroud also being in the running for this as well if he continues on the streak that he's on as well. I think I wouldn't be able to give it to Patrick Mahomes over him, especially if Houston makes the playoffs. But as of right now, with what Kansas City is doing and with what how Patrick Mahomes is still playing without 
a key component in still being able to matriculate the ball down the field and get scoring opportunities, critical situations, I have to give it to Mahomes right now. But I'm really on the fence because I think there's a lot of QBs that could be in the running for this. No doubt about it. Mahomes deserves to be in that discussion. But I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson. We've talked about him a lot, too, and we've talked about him on this episode. But look, this guy has just been playing at a different level this year. He leads the league in completion percentage at 71.5%. That's a number that, quite frankly, his first few years in the league, I just never thought he was capable of that type of accuracy. And even though this season he's throwing downfield at one of the highest rates in the league, He has picked apart defenses this year. He's playing the position at such a high level, especially on those tough layered passes. I kind of talked about those layered throws earlier with C.J. Stroud over the linebackers in front of the safeties, those intermediate routes. On throws traveling 11 to 20 yards in the air, he has the second highest QBR behind only Justin Herbert. He's been incredible. Passing under pressure this year, he is running for a league-high 48.9 yards per game, which tops all quarterbacks in the NFL. He's taking care of the football. He's making great decisions about where to go with the ball, when to run, when to throw, the balance. Everything has been perfect. He has been lights out this year. College Ball Week 10, Alex, had some big games, some big moments. I want to jump into some of these games here. I want to start with Notre Dame. Notre Dame gets crushed by Clemson. And yes, they had a chance at the end of this game, but they got outplayed the whole game. It, it really wasn't as close as the score maybe looked like. Clemson was the better team, and it was really kind of shocking. Notre Dame is now 9-3. and three. And look, 9-3, and three, I think most programs would be pretty happy at 9-3, and three, but at this school, With this team, it feels like a big letdown. You let a game get away from you at Ohio State with some terrible coaching decisions down the stretch. They got smashed by Louisville. Now they beat rival USC. They had a nice win over Duke. I don't want to make it seem like this is some terrible season. It's not. But I felt like this team had a real shot this year at a college football playoff berth. And now a New Year's Six game, I think, is also probably out of the question here after losing to Clemson. We're almost two full seasons into the Marcus Freeman era. And I've said on earlier pods, I like this guy. I think he's a really good young coach. But it's been a little bit of a roller coaster so far. They've had some big wins. They've had some big losses. But once again, this team felt like they had the talent, Alex, I felt at least. And I think you did too. We've talked about them. That they could break through here. I thought this was a team that could break through and have a really special season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's coming off the rails because these games, it's really like if you lose one, you could probably salvage it. Two, you're teetering on the brink. Once you hit three, you're just completely done. And I mean, I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but something has to change. Something has to change. The, uh, oh, I don't want to say something has to change, but there needs to be something because this was their year. I mean, this was a team we, like you said, we talked about early on. I, I don't know what happened here, but it's disappointing for that coach and for those players. Alabama Crimson Tide, Alex. We thought they were dead. Look, I'm pointing the finger at myself here too. Here they are back again in the college football playoff mix. They just keep finding ways to win games. Jalen Milrow has made such a huge improvement from where he was to the, at the start of the year. We have to remember, Milrow was benched 
early in the season, and it was looking like Alabama was had a major quarterback problem at the start of the year, and that's what got me thinking, okay, maybe this run here for Saban, maybe this dynasty is coming to an end here. They lost to Texas. They almost lost to USF. They looked terrible at one point, but here they are. Now they're back. They've made some adjustments. I feel like the one thing that's really helped too, and I don't want to take anything away from Milrow because he has continued to get better every week, but it feels to me like they've started to kind of shape the offense more around his skill set. Really athletic guy, a guy that can really move. Quite frankly, I mean, he looks like a young Jalen Hurts, ironically, who played for Saban in Alabama. That, that's just what he, he just reminds me of Jalen Hurts. A little more athletic, a little bit quicker, not as big and strong as Jalen Hurts, but just a very similar player at that level of his career. And here they are winning games and looking like a contender, just like they were when Jalen Hurts was at Alabama. It's starting to look, Alex, more and more like they're going to be playing Georgia in Atlanta once again for that SEC championship, guys. Milrow. I mean, he's the story, though. I mean, that's what I keep coming back to. He was incredible versus LSU. 374 yards of total offense and four touchdowns. Yeah, and we mentioned it last week, and I'll say it again. Don't be surprised if Alabama is able to backdoor their way into a playoff in, into into the playoff seating simply because of how they've been playing. They've just been simply consistent and done their job and just moved up and up while other teams have been falling off. They've simply been moving up and up little by little, piece by piece, like ants taking bread from the picnic table. They are just in a line moving up and up. And it's going to be interesting to see how this season ends because I think that is a team, and, I'll, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, I think Georgia can be picked off. So we'll have to wait and see when they get to Georgia, what they've learned from the beginning of the season to now this championship game, because I think Nick Saban is not a play, not a coach you want to play with when it comes to game planning, when they want to try and figure out some things. Okay, so coaches, players, anytime media ask one of those guys, they, they don't look ahead, right? You're never supposed to look ahead. You're always looking at the next game. But podcasters and media, we can look ahead. So... Let's let's do that for one second here, Alex. Let's just pretend they're playing right now. Georgia, Alabama, championship game, neutral site. Who do you got? Oh, I'm going to take Bama. I, I just – I don't think Georgia – obviously, Georgia hasn't been tested this year at all. I feel about them the same way I feel about Michigan. They haven't played anyone. Not their fault. The, the schedule is the schedule, but they just simply haven't played anybody of any ilk. I mean, they have Ole Miss coming up. And then they have Tennessee, but I think Tennessee is just down bad right now. But Ole Miss is probably the one game where it something might happen, something, because they're sitting at number 10. But other than that, they didn't face Tennessee and Georgia Tech. And so the only team of ilk that we may say would be Alabama. So being that they haven't played anybody and being that Alabama has had been a little bit battle-tested and even lost some games, they especially like how they did to Texas, I think they're and they've been had to figure out some things. So once you've been battle tested, once you've had to have the opportunity to figure out some things, because they've already beat Ole Miss, they beat Tennessee, they just beat LSU. So they have four ranked teams on their schedule. If I'm mistaken, I think there's only one ranked team on Georgia's schedule. I think that would be Kentucky. Because they're just now getting up to when they're going to play some. They're going to play. They just beat Missouri. They have Ole Miss, and now they have Tennessee. So we'll see. And they did play Kentucky. That's what I thought. They, they did play Kentucky. So let's just see 
how Georgia does, but I think I, as of right now, I'll take Alabama. I think you might be right, Alex. I think I'm with you, and I never would have thought those words would come out of my mouth at the, at the beginning of the season. Three, four weeks into the year, there's no way I would have thought that. But you're right. This team, battle-tested is a great way to put it because they just continue to get better, and I think that that could be potentially a really, really fun matchup. I want to jump to this big Pac-12 matchup. Washington wins in a shootout versus USC. Man, this was a fireworks show. And finally, 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 Alex, USC finally fires defensive coordinator Alex Grinch. Why they even brought him back after last year is baffling. And even more baffling is that he lasted this late into the year. It's it's shocking. We've been talking about this for weeks. Everybody's been talking about it for weeks, how terrible of a defensive coordinator they've had there, and yet they wait until basically they're out of any type of real contention to make this move when they should have made this move at the start of the year or even last year. I don't understand it because now they've essentially wasted an incredible season by Caleb Williams. If the USC defense was just average, I'm not saying they have to be great or anything, just average. They would be a legit title contender. Williams was lights out once again. He went 27 for 35, 312 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He's been absolutely unreal this year. Yeah, and then one of the things with Caleb Williams, which is kind of, you know, overshadowed the game a little bit if you want to just talk about social media and you want to talk about the pundits on radio and or tv is Caleb Williams jumping in the stands I'm not sure if it was his mother or just his family and visibly shaken upset and crying to where they put I think a paper over his face in his helmet where he was just showing that and there was been a lot of criticism coming down I mean I don't really have any true take on it I mean the kid was 27 for 35 312 yards and three touchdowns played a great game. This sounds like to what you alluded to earlier, Brad, that this was simply on the defense for allowing 52 points. You know, once again, letting them, letting down, letting the offense down and letting this great offensive output go to waste. And I don't really have much to say on it. I get it. It's probably a talking point. It's probably a clickbait point or anything like that. But shout out to Kayla Williams. And you know, one of the things that I also heard, and I heard it from, um, TJ Hushmazada or TJ Hushmama, depending on how you want to say his name, he thought that anybody had USC had any other defensive coordinator, they would still be in the hunt for a playoff spot. So that could just tells you how down on how down everyone was on this defensive coordinator and why it took so long to fight him. I'm not sure. Yeah, Alex, I'm I'm glad you brought up the point about Caleb Williams showing some emotion after the game, and you're right. I've seen some people who were kind of critical in the media of of him showing the emotion, crying there. I believe you're right. He was with his mom. My take on it, Alex, is I actually applaud Caleb Williams for not being afraid to show some emotion. I know they tried to cover it up. I know his mom was kind of trying to cover it up because I think she's looking out for her son there and didn't want this to become a big media thing, which it has. But the kid is showing emotion because he cares and he has a passion for the game and he wants to win. And there was this narrative not too long ago where people were talking about, I believe it was after the Notre Dame loss. There was a lot of people saying he should just shut it down and, you know, 
just get ready for the NFL and not play anymore at USC and just start preparing for the draft. That's just total nonsense. It's total nonsense. And this shows why, because this is a kid who clearly cares about playing college football, playing for his team, playing for his coaches, playing for his teammates and wanting to win games. And, and look, the kid is on Wendy's ads and he's on Dr. Pepper commercials. We know he's already a millionaire, right? It's not about the money. And it clearly it's not when we see this type of, of emotion from a player who is crying because it hurts. He, he, he works hard at what he does. He works hard to have success playing football and he cares about winning. And I actually applaud it. But I'm glad you brought up Michael Penix because I did want to mention him before we move on. Michael Penix Jr., had a nice game, but he really wasn't even the centerpiece for the Huskies in this game because they had so much success running the ball in this game, and they haven't really been a great running team all year. They rushed for 316 yards and five touchdowns against USC. Now, they've got another big game for Washington next week, number 18 Utah, and then number 12 Oregon State in the next two weeks. So, They've got some big tests here still left if they're going to get in the into the Pac-12 championship game and potentially the college football playoffs. Still some big games left for them to play, but they passed another big test in this one. Alex, the epic, I mean, epic final Bedlam game. Kind of sad to say that it's probably going to be the last time we see this uh, rivalry game for a long time. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, both teams ranked in the top 25. This was a fantastic game. I mean, a really fun watch. Oklahoma State gets the big upset win over Oklahoma. And the Sooners' college football playoff chances went up in flames. I mean, it is over for them. That was a massive loss and a huge win for the Cowboys. What a scene that was on TV. The crowd was bonkers and and here's the other thing Alex what a turnaround for Oklahoma State this team has now won five straight they're still alive for the Big 12 title this was a team that got smoked by South Alabama early in the year they looked like they were going to be a mess this year they have really turned it around but Alex sticking with the Big 12 here for a second because I want to talk about Texas here Sark is not a good coach and, and look, I said it before the season started, and I still believe it. Even at 8-1, and one, he's underachieving with this roster because they have no excuse to not be undefeated, especially in the Big 12. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to take a shot at this conference, but the conference isn't great. There's a lot of good teams, not great teams. So for a team like Texas, there's no excuse for them not to be undefeated. There's no excuse for them not to be in the college football playoff. And, hell, there's no excuse for them not to win at all because look at this roster. The NIL has completely changed the game. Texas is a program that's really been overrated for probably 10 or plus, probably ten or more years. It wasn't long ago that they really weren't putting anyone in the NFL or very few guys and certainly not any first-rounders. But now you look at this, they might have the best roster in all of college football, they are loaded with NFL talent. There is no reason that they should be in a close game in an overtime game with Kansas State. Now, I know Quinn Ewers is hurt, but I don't care. How many guys on Kansas State's roster could start at Texas? I mean, really. Watch how many guys get drafted off this roster at Texas come April. And they better win 
and they better and they better win big this year, Alex. But I have my doubts because I've always had my doubts about Sark and this program. And I'm not going to move off that take just yet, even though they're having a good year. I think at some point this team is going to get out coached, just like they did against Kansas State. They were lucky to escape with that win. And at some point when it really matters down the stretch, Texas is going to disappoint again. Alex, my college football week 10 helmet sticker is going to go to Clemson linebacker Jeremiah Trotter Jr. Now, if the name sounds familiar, it's because his dad is a former NFL Pro Bowler and NFL All-Pro player. Alex, this is a guy you texted me about this offseason and said, circle this name. He's been awesome this year, and he was a monster in that upset win over Notre Dame last Saturday. 11 tackles, two and a half tackles for a loss, three sacks, on only seven pass rush attempts and a 28-yard pick six. Man, this kid is looking really, you can see the DNA, you can see the NFL lineage here because what a player Jeremiah Trotter Jr. has become. Alex, last week, the struggle continued. Our worst week yet. Our locks of the week went off the rails here. We've got to bounce back, Alex. We're going to have to rename this segment here because I took the Panthers plus two and a half. You took the Falcons minus five. Let's get this thing back on track, Alex. Let's get it going here. Who's going to be your lock of the week? Okay. My lock of the week, we're going big here because when you're down in the dumps, you got to make a Hail Mary. I am taking the Cowboys. At a minus 16, I repeat that again, at a minus 16, they're coming off that loss, they're upset, they need a get-right game, and here comes Danny DeVito, (coughs) excuse me, Tommy DeVito, and the Giants. So I'm taking the Cowboys, laying the 16 to destroy the Giants again. Alex, I'm going to take the New York Jets, and I'm going to lay the one and a half points versus the Raiders. Now, we talked about the Raiders coming off their best performance of the year, but it was against the Giants team with the third-string quarterback that you mentioned there in DeVito. Look, when Daniel Jones got hurt, you could feel it in the stadium, Alex. Like I mentioned, they waved the white flag. You could feel it. It just felt like that was the proverbial straw for this Giants team. Raiders just had fired McDaniels. They were excited. They are ready to play for Antonio Pierce in his first game as the coach. Look, I like Aiden O'Connell. We both like this kid. I think he has the potential to be a really good starting quarterback for them. But now he's facing maybe the best defense in the NFL. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, and Justin Herbert all struggled against this defense. Now, the Jets have no quarterback, and I get that. But even with Zach Wilson in that offense, They're still favorites on the road for a reason here. I like the Jets laying the one and a half. If you enjoy the podcast, if you love what we're doing here, show us some love by going on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave a review for us. Leave a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast player you like. We really appreciate it, guys. Those ratings and reviews really mean a lot. So if you could do that for us, We would definitely appreciate that. But once again, I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.